0: Today's document is from the First Vatican Council. It is the definition and declaration of papal primacy and infallibility. It cites historic precedents for papal infallibility and primacy having been previously recognized by the Church prior to this formal declaration. There's an error out there that people think that the Church just sort of invented this concept at the First Vatican Council. It is not true, as you will see in this document. But of immediate interest is also the statement made that the pope has primacy over the whole church, including all her bishops, even collectively, meaning that even when gathered as a body, the bishops of the world cannot judge the Roman pontiff because he has primacy over them. This eliminates any and all possibilities of an imperfect council being called to judge any pope, presumed or otherwise. But enough from me. On to the document itself. Dogmatic Constitution, Pastor Aeternus, of the Supreme Pontiff, by Pope Pius IX. Bishop, pious servant of the servants of God, with the approval of the Sacred Council, in perpetual memory. To make the salutary work of the redemption perennial, the eternal pastor and bishop of our souls decided to establish the Holy Church in which, as in the house of the living God, all the faithful would find themselves united in the bond of one faith and charity. For this reason, before being glorified, he prayed to the Father not only for the apostles, but also for all those who would believe in him through their word, so that they could all be one, as the same Son and the Father are one. So therefore he sent the apostles, whom he had chosen from the world, in the same way in which he himself had been sent by the Father, He therefore wanted the pastors and doctors to be present in his church until the end of the centuries. In order that the Episcopate himself may be one and undivided, and the whole multitude of believers, through the priests closely united among themselves, should be preserved in the unity of faith and communion, placing Blessed Peter before the other apostles— wanted to be founded in him, the everlasting principle and visible foundation of the twofold unity. The eternal temple had to be raised on its strength, and the greatness of the church, in the immutability of the faith could be risen to heaven. And since the gates of hell are increasingly furious against its foundations, willed by God as if they wanted, if possible, to destroy the church, we believe it necessary for the custody, safety, and growth of the Catholic flock, with it the approval of the sacred council, to propose the doctrine relating to the institution, perenniality, and nature of the sacred apostolic primacy, on which the strength and solidity of the whole church are founded, as a truth of faith to be embraced and defended by of all the faithful, according to the ancient and constant belief of the universal church, and to reject and condemn the contrary errors, so dangerous for the Lord's flock. Chapter 1. Establishment of the Apostolic Primacy and Blessed Peter we therefore proclaim and affirm on the basis of the testimonies of the gospel that the primacy of jurisdiction over the entire church of god was promised and conferred on the blessed apostle peter by christ the lord in an immediate and direct way only to simon in fact to whom he had already addressed you will be called cephas see john chapter 1 verse 42 after he had made that confession of his you are the christ the son of the living god the Lord addressed these solemn words Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because not of the flesh and blood has, has it been revealed to you, but by my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. To you I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bound on earth will also be bound in heaven, and whatever you have dissolved on earth will also be dissolved in heaven. See Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 to 19. And to Simon Peter alone, after his resurrection, Jesus conferred the jurisdiction of high shepherd and guide over all his sheepfold with the words, Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. See John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. To this clear doctrine of the Holy Scriptures, as has always been interpreted by the Catholic Church, the evil opinions of those... Who, distorting the form of government decided by Christ the Lord in his church, deny that Christ invested only Peter of the real primacy of jurisdiction, that places it before the other apostles, whether taken individually or as a whole, or of those who sustain a primacy not entrusted directly and immediately to blessed Peter, but to the church, and through this, to the apostle, as minister of the same church. So if anyone will say that Blessed Peter the Apostle was not constituted by Christ the Lord, Prince of all the Apostles, and visible head of the whole militant church, or that he did not receive a real primacy of jurisdiction from, the, our, from our Lord Jesus Christ himself, but only of honor, let him be anathema. Chapter 2. Perpetuity of the Primacy of Blessed Peter in the Roman Pontiffs What therefore the prince of shepherds and great shepherd of all sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ, instituted in the blessed apostle Peter to make the salvation and perennial good of the church continuous is necessary at the behest of those who instituted it, which will last forever in the Church, but on the rock will remain firm until the end of the centuries. No one can harbor doubts, indeed it is well known in all ages, that the holy and most blessed Peter, prince and head of the apostles, column of faith and foundation of the Catholic Church, received the keys of the kingdom from our Lord Jesus Christ, Savior and Redeemer of the human race. He, up to the present, and always, lives, presides, and judges in his successors, the bishops of the Holy Roman See, founded and consecrated by him with his blood. It follows that whoever succeeds Peter in this chair by virtue of the institution of Christ himself obtains the primacy of Peter over the whole church. Therefore, what the truth has ordered does not set down, and blessed Peter, persevering in the strength he received of, uh, of being the unassailable rock, never took his hand away from the helm of the church, this is therefore the reason why the other churches, that is, all the faithful from all over the world, had to refer to the Church of Rome for its position of authoritative preeminence. So that in this sea, from which they pour out on all rites of divine communion, were articulated like limbs connected to the head in a single body. If anyone then affirms that it is not by the disposition of Christ the Lord Himself, that is, by divine right. That Blessed Peter has successors forever in the primacy of the universal Church, or that the Roman pontiff is not the successor of Blessed Peter in the same primacy, let him be anathema. Chapter 3 On the Strength and Nature of the Primacy of the Roman Pontiff Supported, therefore, by the unequivocal testimonies of the sacred letters and in full harmony with the decrees, clear and exhaustive, of both the Roman pontiffs of our predecessors and the general councils, we reiterate the definition of the Florentine Ecumenical Council, which imposes on all believers in Christ as truth of faith that the holy apostolic see and Roman pontiff hold the primacy over the whole earth, and that the Roman pontiff himself is the successor of blessed Peter." prince of the apostles, the true vicar of Christ, the head of the whole church, the father and teacher of all Christians, to him in the person of blessed Peter, has been entrusted by our Lord Jesus Christ, the full power to guide, rule, and govern the universal church. All this is also contained in the acts of the ecumenical councils and in the sacred canons. We therefore proclaim and declare that the Roman church by the Lord's disposition holds the primacy of ordinary power over all the others, and that this power of jurisdiction of the Roman pontiff, true Episcopal power, is immediate, all pastors and faithful of whatever right and dignity are bound towards him by the obligation of hierarchical subordination and true obedience, not only in things that belong to faith and customs, but also in those relating to the discipline and government of the Church throughout the world. In this way, having safeguarded the unity of communion and the profession of the same faith with the Roman pontiff, the Church of Christ will be one flock under one supreme pastor. This is the doctrine of Catholic truth. This power of the supreme pontiff does not in any way prejudice the episcopal power of jurisdiction, ordinary and immediate, with which the bishops, installed by the Holy Spirit in place of the apostles as their successors, guide and rule as true shepherds, the flock assigned to each of them. Indeed, it is confirmed and strengthened and defended by the supreme and universal pastor. As St. Gregory the Great solemnly teached states, my honor is that of the universal church. My honor is the solid strength of my brothers. I feel truly honored when each of them is not denied due honor. Quote. For the supreme power of the Roman pontiff to govern the whole church, there also derives the right to freely communicate and exercise of his office with the pastors and the flocks of the whole church in order to be able to teach them and direct them on the path of salvation. We therefore condemn and reject the claims of those who consider it legitimate to prevent this communication of the supreme head with the shepherds and the flocks or want to chain him to civil power, since they claim that the decisions taken by the apostolic see were at his wish for the government of the church, they cannot have strength and value unless confirmed by civil power. And since the divine right of the apostolic primacy, the Roman pontiff is placed at the head of the whole church, we also proclaim and affirm... That he is the supreme judge of the faithful, and that in any controversy due to the examination of the church, its judgment can be resorted to. It is evident that the judgment of the apostolic see, which holds the highest authority, cannot be called into question by anyone or subjected to examination by anyone. Those who say that it is possible to appeal to the ecumenical council as if they were invested with a superior power against the sentences of the Roman pontiffs therefore deviate from the right path of truth. So if anyone says that the Roman pontiff has simply an inspection or directive task and not the full and supreme power of jurisdiction over the whole church, not only as regards faith and customs, but also as regards discipline and government of the church spread over the whole earth, or that it is invested only in the principal rule and not in all the fullness of the supreme power, or that this power of his is not ordinary and direct both over all the individual churches and over all and over each other believer and pastor, let him be anathema. Chapter 4 of the Infallible Magisterium of the Roman Pontiff This Holy See has always believed that the supreme power of magisterium is also contained in the same apostolic primacy, possessed by the Roman pontiff as successor to Blessed Peter, the Prince of the Apostles. This is confirmed by the constant tradition of the Church, the same ecumenical councils declared it, and in particular, those in which the East agreed with the West in the bond of faith and charity. Precisely the fathers of the Fourth Council of Constantinople, following in the footsteps of their ancestors, made this solemn profession. Quote, Salvation consists, first of all, in keeping the norms of right faith. And since it is not possible to ignore the will of our Lord Jesus Christ, who proclaims, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. These words find confirmation in the reality of things, because in the apostolic see, the Catholic religion has always been kept pure, and holy doctrine professed. Not wanting, therefore, in any way to be separated from this faith and this doctrine, we have the hope of being able to keep ourselves in the only communion preached by the Apostolic See, because in her is found all the true solidity of the Christian religion. Quote. At the same time when the Second Council of Lyons was approved, the Greeks declared, quote, The Holy Roman Church is honored with the full and supreme primacy and principality over the entire Catholic Church, and with all sincerity and humility, it is recognized that it received it with the fullness of power from the same Lord in the person of blessed Peter, prince and head of the apostles, of which the Roman pontiff is successor, and since it is up to her, before any other, the task of defending the truth of the faith, if questions concerning the faith arise, it is up to her to define them with her own judgment, quote. Finally, the Florentine Council issued this definition, quote, The Roman pontiff, true vicar of Christ, is the head of the whole church, the father and teacher of all Christians. To him, in the person of Blessed Peter, has been entrusted by our Lord Jesus Christ the supreme power to hold and govern the whole church. In order to fulfill this pastoral task, our predecessors always addressed their every concern to spread the salutary doctrine of Christ among all the apostles of the earth and with equal dedication they watched to keep it as genuine and pure as it had been entrusted to them. It is for this reason that the bishops of the whole world, now individually gathered in the synod, keeping faith with the long custom of the church and safeguarding the process of the ancient rule, especially when dangers concerning faith appeared, they resorted to this apostolic see where faith cannot fail so that it could personally repair the damages. The same Roman pontiff as the situation of the moment required, now with the convocation of ecumenical councils or with a survey to ascertain the thought of the church scattered throughout the world, now with the particular synods or with other means made available by divine providence, defined that what, with God's help, they recognized in conforming to sacred scriptures and apostolic traditions had to be maintained. In fact, the Holy Spirit was not promised to the successors of Peter to reveal, with his inspiration, a new doctrine, but to guard scrupulously and to make known with fidelity, with his assistance, the revelation transmitted by the apostles, that is, the deposit of the faith. I prayed for you so that your faith may not fail, and once converted, confirm your brothers. This indefectible charism of truth and faith was therefore divinely conferred on Peter and his successors in this chair so that they exercised their supreme office for the salvation of all, because the whole flock of Christ, diverted from the poisonous pastures of error, it was nourished with the food of the heavenly doctrine, and because, after having eliminated what leads to the schism, the whole church kept one, and supported on its foundations, resisted unshakably against the gates of hell. But since precisely in this time in which the need for the healthy presence of the apostolic ministry is particularly felt, there are many people who oppose his power. We consider it truly necessary to solemnly proclaim the prerogative that the only begotten Son of God he deigned to bind to the supreme pastoral office. Therefore, we, keep fa- we keeping faithful to the tradition received from the beginnings of the Christian faith, for the glory of God our Savior, for the exaltation of the Catholic religion, and for the salvation of Christian peoples, with the approval of the sacred council, we proclaim and define dogma revealed by God, the Roman pontiff, When he speaks ex cathedra, that is, when he exercises his supreme office as pastor and doctor of all Christians, and by virtue of his supreme apostolic power, he defines a doctrine about faith and customs. He binds the whole church. For the divine assistance promised to him in the person of the blessed Peter, he enjoys that infallibility with which the divine Redeemer wanted his church to be accompanied in defining the doctrine about faith and customs. Therefore, these definitions of the Roman pontiff are immutable for themselves and not for the consent of the Church. If anyone then has the presumption to oppose this, our definition, let him be anathema. Given in Rome, in the public session solemnly celebrated in the Vatican Basilica in the year 1870 of the Incarnation of the Lord, on July 18th in the 25th year of our pontificate, Pope Pius IX,